Well, good morning. It's good to be amongst friends again. And thank you for the lovely breakfast. Thank you for the invitation to come here again to be in Adelston with you this morning. Um, thank you, Chris, for leading us in our worship so far. And the third song that we just sung, Abba Father, is a song that will explicitly relate to the reading that I'll bring in a moment. Uh, just to say, I'm really glad that you have Florin to um, welcome as your student minister from September onwards. So I gather from him and from Brian that the interview process that he went through was successful and uh, that he will be formally accepted as a minister in training at Spurgeon's College come September, which is only five or six weeks away now. And that's really good news, and I think it's an exciting prospect and an encouraging move for the next chapter of your church life together. So that's brilliant news. I'm glad to hear that the manse is uh, uh, well underway to be decorated in advance of his uh, family moving in very shortly. Uh, This morning we're going to read from the book of Romans, Paul's letter to the church in Rome. So follow with me, please. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, and it's verse 12 to 17. Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live, because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So I'm glad that you chose Abba Father as the third of our songs just now, because that's a really helpful connection with the message this morning. Abba, Father. But let me begin the message by telling you that according to the most recent Surrey Downs magazine, which is a free magazine that arrives through our letterbox three times a year, according to research by Interflora, the floral delivery company, well, they, according to their research, reveal that Surrey sends more flowers than any other county in the UK. Woking residents are amongst the most committed in Surrey to making an effort with birthdays and other life moments Uh, in making an effort to send flowers, while their Guildford neighbours are naturally apologetic. Apparently, Guildford residents are the residents who most in our county of Surrey send bouquets to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for something they've done or they've not done. They're apologetic, uh, wanting to make peace with a family member or a friend or a colleague. I'm sure you've heard the expression, say it with flowers, We give and we receive flowers to express love or sympathy or regret or as a peace offering to someone that we've hurt 
we go to the shop or we go online, uh, we part with our money sacrificially, and we give the gift of flowers. Well, perhaps sacrifices in biblical times, especially in the Old Testament, were the ancient equivalent of sending flowers today. Because in biblical times, they didn't say it with flowers. They said it with animals like oxen and bulls and cows, sheep, lambs, rams and goats. They said it with birds, turtle doves and pigeons. And they said it with grains, flour, parched wheat and bread, cakes and wafers. And when they were offering these kinds of products, they weren't offering them to fellow human beings. They were offering the gifts to God as a sacrificial sign of their worship to God, as a sign of their repentance for sin or gratitude to God, as an offering recognizing God's sovereign lordship. So in biblical times, birds and animals were a precious resource. So to sacrificially part with birds and animals and to give them to the priests who then offered them to God on behalf of the people in the temple was an act of worship. So in modern day times, we say it with flowers to other human beings. In biblical times, in some respects, the equivalent was saying it with birds and animals as a gesture of love to God. And the reason that Jesus came, lived and died and rose again, was to bring to an end and to fulfill this ancient form of sacrificial offering. Because when Jesus died upon the cross, he said, tetelestai, which was the Greek for it is finished. In other words, my sin, your sin upon the cross has been dealt with. It has been accomplished. It has been overcome. Jesus provided the final sacrifice for our sin and he accomplished our salvation. Over at Ashdod, I'm coming to the end of a sermon series today looking at what the gospel has achieved for us, what the gospel of Jesus through his living and dying and rising has accomplished for us, what we have received as a gift through the saving power of the crucifixion of Christ. This is what theologians call the atonement. This is what refers to as um, how we are made at one with God through Christ's sacrificial death. Through Jesus, we are no longer in debt. Through Jesus, we are no longer dirty. Through Jesus, we are no longer condemned. We are no longer defiled. I could add some other no longers to that as well. No longer defeated. I hope you experience that in your Christian life, that you are no longer defiled, dead, defeated or dirty because Jesus has won the victory for you. Today, I suppose the title of the message is No Longer Orphaned, and it ties in nicely with what we've just read about from Romans chapter 8. By him we cry, Abba, Abba, Father, and the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Friends, the spirit of adoption means the Holy Spirit makes you a daughter and a son in God's family. No matter what your experience of human families are like, you are a daughter and a son of the living God through Jesus Christ. Abba was an Aramaic term of intimacy and reverence that a child would use for its father. 
not just anyone's father, but a dear personal father. But the interesting, fascinating thing is that Abba was not only used by young infants and young people, it was also used by adults to refer to their senior parents. So uh, an adult would still use the word Abba to refer to their parent, regardless of how old they may have reached in age and in years. Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel of Christ affords us, that we get to call God the sovereign Lord of the universe. We get to call him Abba, a personal, intimate term referring to our personal relationship with the living God. Adoption is the result of God's redeeming work. We know that this wasn't just something that Paul wanted the Christians in Rome to know about. He wanted the Christians in Ephesus to know about this as well. So he said to them, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. This is applicable to us today, hundreds of years on from when the New Testament was written. Adoption never just happens, does it? It's always a proactive, loving, intentional act by a parent to adopt a child and to give them the same rights and privileges as any birth child. How many of you have been watching the BBC travel documentary Race Across the World? It's been televised on the BBC, hasn't it? A few hands have gone up. Um, And in the last episode, when they were reaching the last leg of their journey through Canada, there was a conversation in one of those big um, mobile um, camper vans that they were travelling in, and the driver was chatting with Zanib and Mobin, and uh, the conversation was talking about families. And there's a great line in that final episode where it says, Adoption is the greatest expression of love. Adoption is the greatest expression of love. And I was watching that thinking, ah, there's a sermon in that statement, isn't there? Adoption is the greatest expression of love. That's a great lead-in for any preacher to start talking about the gospel. Another illustration, more personal to me at the moment, is my sister and my brother-in-law who live in Coventry, They are currently in the process of becoming adoptive parents. They have been biologically unable to have a child born to them, and they have been going through various appointments and interviews over the last 12 months or more. They've been um, having conversations, and they've had security checks carried out on them because all prospective adopters have to agree to health, police, and social service checks, and references have to be taken up. And they've also had a home visit from the social worker to assess their capacity to become adoptive parents based on their lifestyle, their experience, their employment and their finance. And my sister would say to me and she would say to all of us here if she was here that uh, it's been a roller coaster of a journey. It's been an up and a down kind of journey. It's been exciting and exhilarating, but it's also been painful and challenging and daunting She said to me on the phone just last week that this has been a daunting journey, trying to go through the adoption process, developing a bond with an adopted child. Last Monday, at their interview, uh, Anna, my sister, and Jonathan, my brother-in-law, 
were successful with the adoption panel and they have been unanimously recommended for approval to adopt. They are relieved and they feel blessed, but they also feel a bit challenged and uh, slightly scared as well about the process that is still to be fulfilled. Hopefully by the autumn they will become adoptive parents. And um, it's fascinating. The whole journey has been fascinating for me to watch slightly from a detached point of view. Um, things like, uh, are they allowed to change the child's birth name? Are they allowed to add a middle name to personalize the child that they're adopting? Um, I learned that adoption is the most permanent solution for children in the care system who cannot return to live with their birth families, perhaps due to neglect or being at risk or due to the poor health of birth parents who simply cannot cope raising a young infant. As part of my sister's extended family, I've been asked to read a handbook called Related by Adoption, which is a useful guide to being related by adoption. And uh, I learned a word, framily, F-R-A-M-I-L-Y, framily. It's a combination of family and friends. So you merge together your family and your friends, and what do you get? You get a framily. And this is a word that is used in adoption language and in, in uh, adoption conversations. But it occurred to me, and I hope it occurs to you as well, that the word framily also is a good descriptive word to use for the church. The church is made up of family and friends. The church is a fellowship of God's people. It's a framily where we all come together in God's name. So... The book described this word framily, and it also, I think, is a helpful description of, of what happens in church as well. The book also used the illustration of a seesaw to describe the road to adoption, which is often bumpy. At first, the wait is with the birth family and or previous carers, while the prospective adopted parents are up in the air. I don't think I produced a slide with a seesaw on, did I? But just imagine a seesaw in your head. The child starts off where the weight is and gradually has to work his or her way down the seesaw towards the adopters so that the weight on the seesaw gradually shifts from the biological parents to the adopting parents. And it's a gradual transition. At some point, the child may ask, why didn't my parents want to keep me? And it can sometimes seem both exciting but also overwhelming for adoptive parents the thrill of welcoming a child into the family, but also the burden of a new responsibility. That's why grandparents and other relatives and churches can provide a vital, significant role in providing extended support. One of the things that really touched me in this book was also adoption from a child's point of view. And one of the statements from the child mentioned in the book was uh, please could you have a photograph of me in the new home that I move into it will make me feel welcome that really touched me that a child moving into a new home and a new family sees a photograph of them on the wall or on a bookcase and it it communicates the welcome that they are receiving from the adoptive parents so the church of Jesus Christ is a place where we are adopted into the family of the living God. 
Do you remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus? I think I've got a slide for this one, haven't I? Uh, Thanks for putting that up on the screen. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus. Do you remember Nicodemus came to him at night time? And Nicodemus was a prominent Jew. He was a recognized religious authority. And he asked Jesus a question, didn't he? Let me just refer you back to the story. John chapter 3. Rabbi, said Nicodemus, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with those born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. And Jesus goes on in that passage to talk about how he is the one and only Son of God. You know, the most famous verse in the whole Bible, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a famous story, isn't it? The story of Jesus speaking with Nicodemus, and it's a reminder to us about what it means to be born again into God's kingdom. There's uh, this uh, group of musicians, well, it's actually only two people. They're known as Harry and Chris, They are a comedy, rap, jazz duo. And uh, they've got a song called Womb With A View. Not Room With A View, but Womb With A View. You can listen to it in its entirety um, if you just type in Womb With A View, Harry and Chris, into YouTube. Then you'll get the whole song. It goes like this. We've all been in a womb, that warm and watery room. Take a look at the person sitting next to you. It's someone who swam around in amniotic fluids. You've been in a womb, I've been in a womb, you came, all out, you came out all right and I did too. So next time I feel blue, I'll remember this truth, we've all been in a womb. Um, the last verse talks about we'll all end up in a tomb, but I won't go there this morning. We've all been in a womb. And uh, I thought of this womb song when I was thinking about Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Because it mentions a womb, doesn't it? And um, you know the story well, I'm sure. Jesus turns the conversation around to, being, to, to about uh, being born into the kingdom of God. And it initially takes Nicodemus by surprise and it confuses him and it challenges his mindset. Nicodemus assumed that his place in God's kingdom was guaranteed by his race and his religious life and the fact that he was a circumcised Jew. He's probably thinking to himself, babies don't get reborn. That's not just tricky, that's impossible. 
He's probably thinking how silly it would be for a second physical birth, for a fully grown person to re-enter a woman's uterus and then be birthed again. It's biologically impossible. But Jesus then turns the conversation round to, to uh, make a spiritual lesson out of it, doesn't he? And he talks about being born again of the Spirit. And uh, the story doesn't actually let us know whether Nicodemus realized his spiritual need, uh, whether he understood Jesus' metaphor of being born again or not. We don't really know. I, I think he probably went off in a huff and uh, probably muttered to himself, oh, what does that religious teacher know about spiritual life? But the interesting thing about Nicodemus is that he crops up again uh, towards the end of John's Gospel, after Jesus has been killed and buried. Um, it's Nicodemus and uh, Joseph of Arimathea that reappear in John chapter 19 at the burial of Jesus. And so I think... Uh, Jesus had had some kind of positive impact on Nicodemus and Nicodemus was on a journey towards a new transformation by Christ. For us today, this story tells us that salvation is something given to us. Salvation is not something we achieve ourselves. It's a gift given to us. Babies don't decide to get born. They just get born. Similarly, being birthed into God's kingdom is all God's doing. Yes, we have to make a personal decision, but first and foremost, it is God's doing. It is God's intent. It is God's gracious act. It is God's gracious act to call us. He does the birthing. When Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, another way of translating this is born from above, reminding us that all good gifts come from above, from God down to us. Soon after Jesus met Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus then meets the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. And you could not get two contrasting stories to such a great extent as these two stories. John chapter 4 is the counterpart to John chapter 3. Discussion with Nicodemus happens in Jerusalem at nighttime when it's dark with a man at the center of power and privilege. John chapter 4 the story of the Samaritan woman takes place in an obscure Samaritan village at noon when it's as bright as it could ever be at that time of day with a woman who was marginalized. And John, the gospel writer, sets up these two very contrasting situations to, to tell us, to communicate to us that entry into God's kingdom is for all kinds of people from all backgrounds, from all ethnicities, from all cultures and from all different walks of life because it's never about your race or your keeping of the law or your acts of piety or your knowledge of scripture that brings you into God's kingdom. It's never about what we do or our background that uh, determines our status in God's kingdom. What it is all about ultimately is receiving the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ, receiving the love that comes from Calvary, from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what ultimately secures our salvation. That is what ultimately gives us the gift of new life and birth in God's family. I'm going to close this morning's message with another slide that uh, communicates the most famous verse. You've seen this verse, I'm sure, countless times 
over many, many years, those of you that have been Christians for, for a considerable length of time, you'll be familiar with John 3.16. It, it comes up in all sorts of places, doesn't it? Um, World Cup finals, placards, T-shirts from professional sports players with John 3.16 uh, written across the front or the back of it. But uh, recently I came across this helpful way of celebrating the promise of John 3, verse 16. For God, the greatest subject ever, so loved the greatest affection ever, the world, the greatest object ever, that he gave his one and only Son the greatest gift ever, that whoever, the greatest opportunity ever, believes in him, the greatest commitment ever, should not perish, the greatest rescue ever, but have everlasting life, the greatest promise ever. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you offer us salvation. You offer us forgiveness and acceptance. You offer us adoption into your heavenly Father's family. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you may Minister your love into our hearts and minds and lives again today. May your Holy Spirit come and dwell within us, assuring us of our salvation as we declare to you that you are Abba, Father to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.